You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Everyone's favorite time of the year is right around the corner. College football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited-time offer right now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 freaking dollars in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all of the great promotions and daily odd boosts that they are offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right here in the United States. So it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the Tra- down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WIT-I-T. Welcome to New York. Attention fans, fans. this This is the Devil's Devil's State of Mind Mind Podcast, Podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! happening devils fans it is once again your host the man neil villapiano and welcome to another edition of the devil's state of mind podcast right here exclusively on the hockey podcast network the best place as always to get the most updated news topics discussions and so much more about your new jersey devils i hope you guys are having a fantastic monday i hope you guys are off to a great start to this week and thank you as always for taking some time out of your day to check these episodes out i greatly greatly appreciate it so we are into another episode where basically not a whole lot is going on we are now pretty much in the middle of august um it's august 16th if you guys are listening to this on monday so it's it's more nowadays just about rumors and speculations and not really much movement. I mean, some teams are still signing some RFAs, you know, doing a couple things here or there. But for the most part, when it comes to big time moves that we take a lot of time to discuss, all of that's pretty much done. And most teams are getting ready to have, you know, a lot of their prospects begin their prospect camp. And then obviously we're about a month or so away from the start of the NHL training camps. So, you know, basically for the next couple of weeks, 
Um, there isn't going to be a lot of Devils news to talk about, maybe not even really some rumors, but we always have things to talk about. We always have content to give you guys. Today, on this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast, we are going to begin basically a little thing where I'm going to do a top five list. You're, you're going to get a couple of these over the next couple of weeks. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to go top five best player, best Devils players of all time from a certain position. Today, we're going to be talking about the left wing. So the next episode will be center, then it'll be right wing, and then obviously defense and then goaltending and so on and so forth. So, I mean, this is something that this is basically my opinion. Um, if you agree or disagree, let me know on Twitter at Devil State and also on Instagram at Devil State of Mind what your thoughts are. I would greatly appreciate it. Who do you who do you agree with me? Who do you disagree? Who should be in that list? Who should not? You know, everything in between. I would love to discuss that with you guys as much as possible. So we have a bunch to talk about here on this edition of the Devil State of Mind podcast. So let's not waste any more time and drop the puck. So before I jump into the top five list, which is pretty much the bulk, the majority of this episode here today, I wanted to bring up basically one rumor. Um, it comes from Elliot Freeman, one of his 31 thoughts, um, NHL uh, watcher at NHL underscore watcher on Twitter, uh, shared this little bit from Friedman's 31 Thoughts that talks about Vladimir Tarasenko, and it also mentions the New Jersey Devils, something we've been hearing for weeks now. But again, uh, Friedman said, quote, one of the things that I have heard is that some teams, I don't know if New Jersey is one of them or not, they aren't crazy about what they're seeing with Tarasenko's shoulder. And I think that's one of the reasons that hasn't been done yet. So again, it's really not a surprise that at this point, Tarasenko has still not been moved. You look at the moves that the St. Louis Blues have made this offseason, and it's pretty clear that they are prepared for life without Vladimir Tarasenko. I mean, they got Pavel Buchnevich, and they also signed Brandon Saad. Um, there also is some rumor speculation that if Zdeno Char wants to continue to play in the NHL, that the Blues would make a heavy push to sign the future Hall of Fame defenseman. So again, and also, I should mention that they still have to re-sign some of their RFAs. So all in all, again, the Blues are in a very difficult spot where they would probably prefer to move Tarasenko's contract altogether so that they have an extra $7 million for at least the next two years. And they would have plenty of money to re-sign uh, the rest of their RFAs. And like I mentioned before, when... It comes down to teams that are interested. Again, it pretty much sounds like now we're down to one, maybe two teams. Uh, I think the New York Islanders are still interested, and we know Lou Lamorello is just not going to give, give us any information. I mean, we still don't know what Kyle Palmieri's contract is. Uh, there's uh, the belief that Travis Zajac is also going to resign on the island. Same thing. Um, with possibly Zach Parise joining the New York Islanders. Uh, to me, I feel like all of those guys have been signed and we're just waiting for whenever, I guess, the Islanders feel like announcing it. And then as far as the interest with the Islanders and Tarasenko, again, it's very, very quiet. We really don't know how much interest the Islanders have and how much they've actually been working towards making a deal. When it comes to the Devils, as we've talked about before, we talked about a couple episodes ago, once the Devils signed Tomas Tatar to a two-year deal, that it really looked like at that point that the Devils are basically done this offseason. They, they pretty much, well, not pretty much, they have checked off basically every single thing on their list. And the only, I guess, I don't even want to say it's criticism because it's really not. The only thing that I guess some people, um, whether it's media or fans, have said that they would like to see the Devils do possibly is to add another bottom six forward. Um, and there are guys like Tyler Bozak, maybe even an Alex Galchenyuk um, on a one-year deal would be would be fine. Um, but as far as you know, do they are they looking for another top six uh, player? I think that there is a very slight, very, very slight possibility that the Devils would do so. And the and the reason that it's very slight is because I understand the whole thing about making this team a lot better right now. 
but you do obviously have some intriguing prospects that haven't even suited up in an NHL game yet, most particularly guys like Dawson Mercer and Alexander Holtz. Alexander Holtz is projected to be that top six scoring winger for one of Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes down the road. I think that most likely Holtz will probably play the entire year down in Utica um, and probably going into the 2022-23 season is when he would get a legit opportunity. But I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed around for the majority of training camp this year if he does get invited. I, I can look at him as what Ty Smith was like in his first year um, at training camp. He was the last cut. He actually went overseas when they played in uh, Sweden and Switzerland. He actually went with the team and played there with them. So, I mean, it's it's a possibility. I think it's a good possibility. I think Holtz and Mercer are both going to get an opportunity to uh, be in training camp this year. Uh, but again, going back to what I'm saying, you do have some young prospects that haven't even gotten a chance yet to play in the NHL. So it's a very difficult thing to balance because, again, we know Tarasenko's contract is only for this season and then next year. Same thing with also Tomas Tatar as well. The thing about Tarasenko is obviously the injury situation. He's played 34 games the last two years, and nobody's really sure if he can 100% get back to the player that he was. Um, I think most Devils fans would be satisfied if they got 75% of what Tarasenko used to be. Because I think then it would certainly help this team moving forward. Would Tarasenko be that top six guy that we've really been looking for? I don't think so, because here's why. Tatar has proven without hesitation that he is consistent 20 to 25 goal score. And he is going to help benefit both of, or one of basically, Jack Hughes or Nico Heischer. Because again, that's the whole point of trying to find, or why, you know, Tom Fitzgerald was trying to find a top six guy. This was the whole point so that he could help develop these guys and move them forward to the next phase of their career, getting into the prime of their careers. Nico being a little bit closer than Jack Hughes right now, but still. So when I look at this and I look at Tarasenko, I actually uh, quote tweeted this uh, on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. I said, I think Fitz is continuing to keep an eye and ear on Tarasenko. If he gets the deal he wants, he will make it. If he doesn't, then it's no skin off his nose. The Devils are the only team at this point that seem to be willing to take on his full salary. We've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again. Even now, with getting all of our RFA signed after signing Yanni Kwokinen a week ago, uh, the Devils have about, I believe, $12 million in cap space. They're already beyond the cap floor. So they don't have to make any move, any more moves at all. They don't have to because they're fine. Um, and I think Fitzgerald is still somewhat intrigued with the prospect of having a guy like Tarasenko in this organization. Um, but I do think that he, like everybody else, is wondering, you know, how serious is Tarasenko's shoulder problem? I mean, if it's very serious and you acquire him, you're talking about giving a guy $7 million for this year and next year. And is he going to be fully healthy? Is he going to be able to contribute to our team? I mean, that's kind of the thing. So I think with Fitzgerald's case, I think it's simply this. He probably would like to make a deal if it's possible, but he'll only make it if it's clearly beneficial to the New Jersey Devils, meaning that the Devils give up very little to nothing of value to St. Louis. I think the Blues have, at this point, backed themselves into a corner. I think the same can be said to a lesser extent with Jack Eichel. Because both of these teams have guys that are still incredibly talented and have proven before that they are very talented, but they're both coming off of major injuries. Uh, Jack Eichel's situation, I mean, he wants to get an artificial hip which has never been done in the history of the National Hockey League with a player continuing to play with an artificial hip. And no team wants to do that, and no team wants to make the move to acquire him if he can't perform at the same level that he had been performing for the last several years in Buffalo. Tarasenko, as I mentioned before, two years ago, if he was on the trading block, he would have been dealt already, and it would have been a pretty substantial amount to give up. The Blues basically tried the same thing that Buffalo has been trying, trying to get a lot of value for the player. 
And they really can't because the longer that they wait, the lower their value gets. We were hearing that Eichel was going to be traded at the draft a couple of weeks ago. The draft is, has come and gone, and Eichel is still a Buffalo Sabre. We thought the same thing was going to happen to Eichel at when free agency began on July 28th. It came away, and nothing has happened. Tarasenko, I mean, we've heard him for the past month and change that he wants out of St. Louis, and it started with he only had a certain amount of teams he wanted to be dealt to. Then we found out that basically the majority of those teams backed out and weren't interested. And then we got to the point where Tarasenko was like, I'll basically move anywhere. It doesn't matter at this point. And the Blues are like, okay, but we want to get the best offer we possibly can get. When I look at the Devils situation, the Devils do have a lot to offer. Um, but I don't think it would be wise of the Devils to move anybody with a decent amount of value away for a guy that you're not even 100% sure is going to be able to perform at the level that he's expected to be at. I mean, if Tarasenko came to New Jersey, we got to call it like it is. He would have high expectations to come in and perform at the level that he had been performing for several years prior to his injury situation. Um, is that a fair expectation? I think that there it's a little bit fair. I also think we do have to understand that the shoulder situation could be a major, major problem because we don't know how serious it is. But at the end of the day, if Fitzgerald was able to make a deal for Tarasenko, where let's say we gave up, I don't know, we gave up like a fourth, maybe like a fourth round pick and maybe a fifth round pick, like we gave up picks and we got Tarasenko, I don't really think a lot of Devils fans would be upset about it. I think a lot of Devils fans would be like, hey, we got Tarasenko, and if it works out for us, it's a low-risk, high-reward move. I mean, really, you have to think of it that way. Because also, if you remember, P.K. Subban's $9 million contract comes off the books after this upcoming year. So we'll have even more cap space going into next year, even if we have Tarasenko's contract on the books going into 2022-23. Um, I think the Devils would be wise to just let this play out. Um, if the Blues want to make a deal, then you got to make sure it's a deal that you don't overspend for. Um, if they don't want to make a deal, don't worry about it. Because here's the thing. The Devils roster is pretty much set, in my opinion, for the upcoming year. I know that people want to see them add more scoring, but I think we do have a lot of potential really good scoring down the road moving forward, not just with you know adding Tatar and, having guys like Sharon Govich, but also like guys, like I mentioned, you know, Alexander Holtz, uh, Graham Clark, possibly Nolan Foote, uh, Dawson Mercer. These are just a couple of guys that, I, that, you know, are there in the system that have yet to really play significant NHL minutes, if, if no NHL minutes at all. So the bottom line with this is simply that once again, this is all just speculation. There is nothing pointing that the devils at this point are talking to St. Louis. I think right now, Fitzgerald, if he's still interested, is playing the waiting game and is going to see if he could probably wait as long as possible to force the St. Louis Blues to make a deal with the Devils that is really, really not good for them, but it's very beneficial to us. So I think that's something to keep in mind because really, other than the Blues just, they could decide to keep Tarasenko and move forward. They, they really don't have a lot of say in this. I mean, they don't have a lot of bargaining advantage here. So I think that that's something to keep in mind. Would I be surprised if he ended up somewhere else other than Devils? No. It'd be like, okay, because I just, I don't think Tarasenko wants to be in St. Louis anymore. And I think that it's just going to get to that point, but you never know. So that's basically the only Devils rumor, news, anything related uh, that's been talked about over the last couple of days. So, well, again, We'll just see what happens. But now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the main event of this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. We are going to begin, we are going to basically begin our lists of top five devils of all time, depending on position. We're not going to do top five devils of all time because uh, you know, that's just one episode. I wanted to get more specific because I think that this would create more discussion. I feel like you guys would be more intrigued to hear what I have to say and then obviously respond to it as well. So we're going to go by position, which I've done for some other lists uh, in previous episodes. We're going to start with the top five best devils left wingers of all time. 
And to be honest with you guys, there were a handful of guys that I kept putting in and out of this list because I was trying to figure out which of these guys made the biggest impacts. And then once you figure out those five guys that you know made the biggest impacts, it's a matter of, you know, which guy fits where, which, you know, basically like that. So there, there was a lot here. And again, if you agree, disagree, you want to give your own thoughts, let me know on Twitter at Devil State and also on Instagram at Devil State of Mind. DMs are open. You know, you can reply. I'm always looking forward to responding and, and talking with you guys because like I've said before, this podcast is for the fans, by a fan. We're in this together. We're all one big Devil's family. So let's start with number five. So we're going to go from five to one, kind of build it up from there. We also have a couple of honorable mentions as well that I will discuss in just a few short moments. But let's start with number five. That is Jeff Friesen. So in case you don't know who Jeff Friesen is, if you're a little bit younger of a fan, Jeff Friesen was traded from the Anaheim Mighty Ducks to the New Jersey Devils, along with defenseman Oleg Tevardovsky in a blockbuster trade. And I think it was at the draft or a little bit after the draft. Um, the Devils traded away Mike Commodore, Jean-Francois Demphouse, Igor Polhanka, and the biggest you know, player involved in this is Peter Sikora which was kind of a surprise to a lot of people considering that the chemistry he had built with Jason Arnett as well as Patrick Eliash, and that line was slowly but surely being broken apart. And as a result, the Devils moved on from Peter Sikora. The only, the, the biggest reason why there was such criticism for it was that also Jeff Friesen had not done particularly well in Anaheim, in a couple of seasons that he played with them, he only scored 20 goals in total. So really, I'm sure a lot of people were wondering at the time what exactly they were getting from Jeff Friesen. Well, in his first year in the 0-2-0-3 season, he scored 23 goals, 28 assists for 51 points in the regular season. And in the postseason, he scored 10 goals, 4 assists, 14 points. He added a couple of goals in the Stanley Cup Finals as he helped the Devils not only reach the 0-3 Finals, but defeat his former team, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, in seven games to win the franchise's third and still at this point last Stanley Cup in franchise history. If it wasn't for the likes of, you know, uh, Sebastian Jaguer and also Martin Bardur earning three different shutouts in that final alone, I think Jeff Friesen would have won Conn Smythe's playoff MVP. He was brought in as a clutch guy that once he got in the playoffs, he was going to do what it took. He was the guy who had the nose for the goal. And if you look at the three years that the Devils won Stanley Cups, the one consistent other than the defensive goaltending was that Lula Morello did a great job of finding that one guy that had a nose for the goal that would come up big in those situations. In 95, it was Claude Lemieux. In 2000, it was Alexander McGillney. And in 2003, was Jeff Friesen. So Jeff Friesen had a tremendous first year with the Devils. He actually only played one more year in New Jersey in 03-04, scoring 17 goals, 20 assists for 37 points. Then we had the strike. And then um, after that season, the Devils traded Friesen to the Washington Capitals for a third-round draft pick in 2006, which became Kirill Tulipov. So... The final total statistically for Jeff Friesen in his time in New Jersey, he played two seasons, playing in 162 games, 40 goals, 48 assists for 88 points, which is the second most points he scored in his career with any team. So number five on our list of the top five best Devils left-wingers of all time is Jeff Friesen. Now, here is where things get, I don't know if you want to say controversial or, you know, a little bit uneasy. Some Devils fans, especially people my age, are not going to be wild about the fact that I put this guy on here. But you do have to give him credit where credit is due, and that is Ilya Kovalchuk. So, let's talk about how Kovalchuk got to New Jersey and what he did in his time uh, in the Garden State. First of all, Kovalchuk was traded by the Atlanta Thrashers with second round draft pick in 2010, which actually that second round pick the Devils got later became uh, John Merrill. It's a fun fact. And Ansi Sal Salmela, excuse me, to the Devils for a first round pick in 2010, which was later traded to Chicago. And the Chicago Blackhawks selected Kevin Hayes, 
A second round draft pick in 2010 later traded to Chicago and Chicago selected Justin Hall, Nicholas Bergforce, Patrice Cormier, and Johnny Oduya. And that was, I believe, a trade deadline acquisition. Um, it was certainly a big one. And from what I remember, uh, you have to understand, at that time back in 2010, Twitter really didn't exist. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of things where news was coming out and rumors were coming out. And Lou, being Lou, just kept it very quiet that he was making a move for this. So when the deal actually happened, it was like, a whoa, this is a big time move. Because Ilya Kovalchuk at this time was one of the top three, top five goal scorers in the NHL, doing absolutely damage after damage on the ice in a positive way. He's very, very good. In his short time in 09-2010 with the Devils, he scored 10 goals, 17 assists for 27 points. And the big reason that Ilya Kovalchuk got traded was because he was going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. And the Thrashers were trying to move him to try to get some value before he ended up becoming an unrestricted free agent. And the Devils were one of, I believe, 10 or 11 teams that offered him contract, a contract um, in free agency. And it was really a question of were the Devils going to be able to convince Kovalchuk to stay? Well, on July 19th, 2010, after receiving offers from, like I said, 10, 11 other teams, Ilya Kovalchuk agreed to a 17-year $102 million deal with the New Jersey Devils, which at the time, and I believe it still is the longest contract in terms of years in the history of the National Hockey League. And the NHL said to that, that's not going to work. The contract was blocked by the NHL the very next day on the ground. It circumvented the NHL salary cap. And then you go a couple months later, September 4th of 2010, the NHL approved the, con the new contract the Devils uh, gave Kovalchuk, along with a new agreement with the NHL Players Association. The contract was a 15-year deal worth $100 million. Now, the part that everybody has continued to have a tough pill to swallow, including myself, is this part. Consequently, the NHL penalized the Devils for trying to circumvent the NHL salary cap with Kovalchuk's original contract. As a result, the Devils surrendered $3 million, a third-round draft choice in the 2011 NHL draft, and one future first-round draft pick within the next four seasons. The Devils decided to use their first-round draft pick in the 2011 and 2012 NHL entry drafts and were to surrender their first-round pick in 2014. However, on March 6th of 2014, the NHL announced it would forgive part of the $3 million fine and grant the Devils the 30th pick in the first round of the 2014 NHL entry draft. Why did they do that? Well, that comes in just a moment. We'll get to that very shortly. Uh, but when Kovalchuk came back to the Devils, um, obviously the Devils were looking to try to get, you know, not only continue to get into the playoffs, but make a run and really try to put themselves in a position to win a Stanley Cup, especially because we knew that Martin Berner's career was winding down. And I think Lou wanted to try to win at least one more cup for Marty before he hung them up. With Kovalchuk's help, the Devils reached the cup final in 2012. Kovalchuk finished scoring eight goals and telling 11 assists as the Devils would fall in six games to the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, my biggest criticism was that in the cup final, Kovalchuk came up very, very small. He had some good chances, but he came up small. And I know he was dealing with injury, but still, it was very difficult because if he was able to score a couple of the goals that he didn't score, the Devils, in my opinion, win that series. I mean, there's a lot of ifs from that 2012 year. A lot of you guys, um, obviously, we all know what those ifs are. It was just very, very difficult. The next year was the 2012-2013 season, as you know. The NHL went on strike. They missed out at about half, half of the season. And then there was only about, I think it was like 50 games, 40 games. I really don't remember. But the Devils really just never got off to a good start, ended up missing out on the playoffs. You go to the 2013 NHL draft, and the Devils made the move to acquire Corey Schneider for their first-round pick to Vancouver. And obviously, as my good friend Shane Ryan, one of the former hosts of the Devils podcast uh, back in year one, uh, likes to tell me all the time, the Canucks used that first-round pick to select Bo Horvat. So basically, the Devils acquired Corey Schneider in exchange 
for Bo Horvat. So there's that. But the, after the Devils made that move, there was a lot of excitement. About an hour after that move was made, Ilya Kovalchuk, out of nowhere, announced that he was retiring from the NHL. He was retiring and going back to Russia, which stunned everybody. Nobody could get it. It was only the second or third. It was like the third year of his contract. He was only one-fifth of the way done with his contract, and he was gone. And at first, nobody could get it. But obviously, as years went on, we figured out the real reason why Kovalchuk retired. To put it bluntly, he didn't want to be in New Jersey. I think that the only reason he got the contract or that he wanted to sign the contract was because of the money. But I think he would prefer, as he pointed out years later, to play in either New York, New York City, playing with the Rangers, or play in Los Angeles with the Kings. So what Kovalchuk ended up doing for many, many years after that, uh, until 1819, was play in Russia. And the reason that he couldn't join the NHL sooner was because the devil still held his rights. So, it, so when there was speculation that Kovalchuk was going to come back, uh, it was still the point of, well, the devils own his rights. So if he comes back, he's part of the devils. So we waited until the 1819 season when his contract and the rights obviously were voided, and he was able to come back to the NHL as a free agent. And he's played a couple of seasons after that, playing with the Kings, the Montreal Canadiens, the Washington Capitals. And he's been okay, but obviously he's not the same. He went back to the KHL for the, um, the 2021 season. And there is some speculation that he is looking to come back once again to the National Hockey League to once again try to make a run at a Stanley Cup. We'll see if any team actually gives him a shot. Um, and that is why, again, the NHL gave back some of the money and a first-round pick to New Jersey um, once Kovalchuk decided to leave because they basically felt bad that Kovalchuk left them and everything. Um, I still don't blame Lula Morello for that deal. I blame Vanderbeek for that. Um, I think he was trying to get uh, basically a guy like Prokhorov, who ended up owning the Brooklyn Nets for a while. Um, interested in maybe buying the team and, you know, obviously having a super, a Russian superstar. Uh, he was hoping to make that more attractive, but didn't work out. Uh, in some ways it hurt the devils because it took them a long time to even get to the point that we're at now. Um, and obviously we haven't had a significant run in the playoffs since, tw since that 2012 cup run, um, Stanley Cup final run. And we've only made the playoffs once since then as well. So it's a difficult thing. What would the Devils be if Kovalchuk stayed the amount of years that he signed? It remains to be, you know, we, we don't know. We don't know. But looking at Kovalchuk's stats in the several years he was with the New Jersey Devils, he played in 222 games, scoring 89 goals, telling 112 assists for 201 points. And obviously, as we all do, anytime he comes back to the Rock, we make sure to give him a nice, friendly Jersey welcome. Um, but yeah, Kovalchuk is number four on my list. So I did want to put him in there, but you got to give me at least credit that I put him at number four and not in the top three. That's the way I look at it. Now let's go to number three, Taylor Hall. Yes, I put Taylor, on, Taylor Hall on here because even though he wasn't here that long, the impact that he made on a lot of younger Devils fans and even some people that I knew that never got it that hadn't got into hockey up until that point, um, he really, he really brought back some spark into this organization. Um, now, d d does it obviously matter now? Not really, but even in the short time he was here, he made a pretty big impact. So it started with the infamous one-for-one -one trade in the summer of 2016, one of three or four big-time moves. Uh, prior to this offseason, that was probably the biggest offseason I personally had ever experienced in my time as a hockey fan. But I remember that there were rumors coming out that the Devils were interested in acquiring Ryan Nugent Hopkins from Edmonton. And I was like, eh, Nugent Hopkins, very, very good player, would certainly help us. I did not hear very much about Taylor Hall. But I remember I was at the beach and I looked at my phone and I saw the infamous tweet from Bob McKenzie saying the Devils had acquired Taylor Hall in exchange for Adam Larson. The deal is one for one. And it was like, oh, wow, what a move. And 
for Ray Shiro, who was still relatively early in his tenure as the Devils general manager, that was the first big move for him. He was looking for an impact franchise player that you could you could hang your hat on, and he was a guy who had a nose for the goal. This was it, and he was just about entering, or basically he was just in the prime of his career when he got traded here. He immediately made an impact. He was a guy that we had not seen, a guy like him perform since the likes of Kovalchuk and obviously Zach Parise as well. And him wearing number nine just showed that he was he was ready to become an impact player. But unfortunately, the Devils uh, ended up finishing towards the bottom of the NHL in his first year. And the Devils ended up selecting Nico Kishir with the first overall pick. Then you go to 17-18. And that was a season that a lot of Devils fans will remember for quite some time, especially considering it's the last really great moments on the ice we've had in the last handful of years. But Taylor Hall um, almost single-handedly guided the Devils to the postseason for the first time in since 2011-2012, uh, clinching a playoff spot. The second to last game, I was there at that game, ice level against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, first time I got to see Austin Matthews as well, which was kind of cool. Also, I believe Van Riemsdyk was still on the Maple Leafs at this time. I could be wrong, but that's besides the point. The Devils clinched the playoff spot and would go on to face the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round, getting knocked out in five games. But that year was capped off with Taylor Hall winning the Hart Trophy as the league's most valuable player with 39 goals, 54 assists for 93 points. He was the first and still only Devils player to ever win that award. And it was just a phenomenal feeling at the time. Because you looked at it, you said, okay, we've made the playoffs. We have a guy now that is an MVP in this league. We are set here, ladies and gentlemen. We are set. We have our franchise uh, center. And, you know, our goaltending situation needs a little bit of work. And so does our defense. But we'll, we'll, we'll improve that. The next year, obviously, there was a lot of injuries and John Hines being John Hines. The Devils once again finished towards the bottom of the NHL and once again won the draft lottery and selected Jack Hughes with that first overall pick. And as we all know, they traded and acquired P.K. Subban. They signed the top Russian uh, from the KHL, Nikita Gusev. They brought in Wayne Simmons. This team going into the 1920 season was prepared to make a run into the postseason. And mainly it had to do with trying to convince Taylor Hall to sign a long-term deal in New Jersey. It didn't even take them a full game for them to completely collapse. If you remember that first game of the season against Winnipeg, 4-0 lead, at, you know, late in the second period, go on to give up four unanswered goals, lose the game in a shootout, and the team just fell off from there. And in December, December 15th, of 2019, the Devils traded Taylor Hall to the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for a first-round pick in 2020, uh, top three protected, Kevin Ball, a third-round draft pick in 2021, a conditional, Ryder Korzak, Nicholas Merkley, and Nate Schnarr. Um, majority of that has been used or is no longer on the team. Kevin Ball is still here, and I believe the Arizona pick, I want to say that was... I believe that was the Dawson Mercer. Yeah, I believe it was the Dawson Mercer um, pick. So there's that. So basically the Devils got um, Kevin Ball and Dawson Mercer in exchange for Taylor Hall, which is not bad, not bad at all. Um, and Taylor Hall went on to help the Coyotes at least make the bubble, get into the round of 16 before being knocked out. Um, and then last year playing with Buffalo and then getting traded to the Boston Bruins. And now he signed a four-year deal in Boston. So when I look back on Taylor Hall's time, I mean, it was phenomenal, especially and obviously that 17, 18 year. Um, it was just unfortunate in some ways that the Devils made the wrong choice to have uh, John Hines as the head coach. I never felt like the ownership gave Shiro the opportunity to go out and get another big time player. I begged the devils to go after John Tavares when he was available, because I felt like getting him into the fold with the likes of Nico and Taylor Hall and Jesper Brad and guys like that, he would have helped us tremendously. Um, but it just didn't happen. And I think that Ray Shiro also at times uh, made the wrong moves. I think from the drafting standpoint, he really struggled with that after the first round. Um, but that's just that. 
And as far as Taylor Hall is concerned, I mean, we talked about it throughout the season last year. I didn't really care that people were, well, I wouldn't say I didn't care. It was just, I was getting annoyed that we were constantly praising a guy that put the devils in a difficult spot where they were forced to make moves that maybe they didn't want to actually make because they were trying to please him. And then when Taylor Hall made the comment about saying he doesn't feel comfortable being the main guy, he'd rather be just one of the guys, you know, on the team, one of those contributors, it kind of hurt. It was very frustrating, especially when he also made the comments during the 18-19 season that he felt like that New Jersey was his home now and that he was going to be here a long time and it didn't work out. Um, And you could blame his agent as well for some of that. Uh, And then obviously the situation with Buffalo. Now the Sabres kind of know a little bit about how we feel. Uh, And now the Bruins have it. So that's that's basically it with that. But Taylor Hall still made significant impacts. I mean, hell, He's the biggest reason we even made the playoffs at least once in the last nearly decade. Uh, he won a heart trophy. He's the league MVP. Nobody else in Devils history can say that they've done that. Um, and he brought us some really exciting moments. And in his time in New Jersey, he played in 211 games, 76 goals, 132 assists for 208 points, which I believe is the second most points in, in total that he has scored in his career. And we'll see how, what he does in the several years he's in Boston, but Taylor Hall is number three on our list. Now moving to number two, a guy that has had some speculation that he could possibly return to New Jersey, um, even though I don't think it's that possible. But number two is former captain Zach Parise. Parise drafted 17th overall in 2003 by the New Jersey Devils, and he played in New Jersey from 0506 to the end of the 2011-2012 season. Alternate captain for Team USA at the 2010 Olympics and the captain of Team USA at the 2014 Sochi Olympics. And he was named captain of the New Jersey Devils in his only year, uh, in his last year basically with the Devils in 2011-2012. With his eight goals, seven assists for 15 points, he helped the Devils reach the Stanley Cup Finals in 2012. The tough part was the fact that he ended up leaving in free agency after that year, signing that massive deal along with Ryan Suter in Minnesota, which obviously looking back now, I'm sure Minnesota is not thrilled that they made that move. But obviously you never know these things when you first make that deal. But what what I realized about losing Parise is that we lost the big heart and soul of this team. It's like when the Sharks a couple of years ago lost uh, Joe Pavelski uh, to, to free agency when he went to Dallas. I feel like that's part of the reason why the Sharks are in the position. One of the reasons is that the heart of their team was ripped out. Like he's gone. He's their captain. And it's very difficult uh, to lose a guy like that who makes a significant impact in the locker room. Um, I can understand why fans booed Parise the several times he came back to New Jersey after that. Um, But over the years, I've been okay with it because I understood he wanted to go home. And obviously his father um, was not doing well at the time. And he ended up later on passing, passing away. And I'm sure that Parise just wanted to be around family and friends and play in the state that he grew up in. And so he got that opportunity and played many more years there. And now there's the chance that he may be reuniting with uh, reuniting, excuse me, with Lou Lamorell on the Island with several other former devils players, which doesn't surprise me in the slightest, but I mean, he still technically isn't signed. Is there a chance that maybe he could come back to New Jersey? There have been reports that the only other team he's interested in is the Devils. I would be okay with it because I still think even as a bottom six player, I think he could help us. Um, but we'll see. We'll see about that. Is he somebody that his numbers should be retired? No, but if the Devils had like, a, I don't know, like a wall of fame or a ring of honor, I would certainly put him in that 100%. Um but yeah, it was difficult to see him leave after the Devils made the cup final and were two wins away from winning a Stanley Cup. I think if he had stayed, I think the Devils would have been in a position to get back there at some point. But it didn't work out, unfortunately. In Zach Parise's career in New Jersey, he played in 502 games. Didn't know he played in over 500 games with the Devils, scoring 194 goals, 216 assists for 410 points. So that's very impressive. And you know what's interesting is that He's actually played more seasons, I believe, in Minnesota than he played in New Jersey. And he's actually gotten more points in New Jersey than he did in his entire career in Minnesota. 
So that's kind of an interesting thing in case you'd like to uh, in case you'd like to know that. But Zach Parise was a great player for this team for several years, was one of the best players on this team, a guy who just fed off of the dramatics. He loved it. And being a captain, it felt like, you know, it was perfect. He was born to be a captain. He was born to be a leader of this team. And he brought us some great memories, especially in 2011, 2012. Um, and I have really no hard feelings at this point being 24 years old now. I don't have any hard feelings uh, for him leaving. I mean, if he does come back, that would be great. I would love to see him come back and maybe finish his career in New Jersey. Maybe he does that later down the road. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Zach Parise, he made some significant impact uh, in his time in New Jersey. And a lot of us are very thankful that we got the chance to see him play. So Zach Parise is number two on my list. And before we get to our number one player, which I think a lot of you probably already know who it is, but here are a couple of honorable mentions that I'll go through really quickly. Jay Pendolfo, I mean, he played the majority of his career with the New Jersey Devils, a guy that helped them win several Stanley Cups. He played in over 500 games with the New Jersey Devils. He was a very, very good workman-like player, a guy that was a fan favorite to a lot of to a lot of fans in New Jersey. And he played over 10 years with the Devils. I mean, he even played some of those years in the early 2000s and pushing 2010s. Now he's a coach with the Boston Bruins, uh, since he's obviously from that area. But that's one of the mentions. Mike Camilleri is another one. Obviously, when the Devils brought him in, he was still playing in the prime of his career. Um, the biggest thing that I remember from him is that not only was he good at scoring, uh, he was just good at, you know, getting guys the puck and, and being just a good passer in general. The big thing I remember was, I think it was like his last year, or the year before his last year, he had that injury early on in the season where they first said it wasn't that big of a deal, but it just lingered on and on and on. And he basically missed the entire year. And we never figured out what exactly the issue was. So that was kind of a, a tough time. But, you know, Camo was decent in the time he was in New Jersey. The Brendan Shanahan as well, NHL Hall of Famer, obviously the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs at the moment. Uh, he didn't play particularly long with the Devils, but he was drafted by the Devils. You know, obviously played a couple of really good years with them, became a really good player. Went on to win a couple Stanley Cups uh, with the Detroit Red Wings and obviously becoming an NHL Hall of Famer. Um, obviously, he's just another double that made the Hall of Fame. Did he make his major contributions in New Jersey? No. But considering that he was a Devils draft pick and he did have some really good seasons in the time that he was in New Jersey, I felt like you got to put him at least as an honorable mention. So that's it. So Jay Pandolfo, Mike Camilleri, and Brendan Shanahan are my three honorable mentions. And now, the number one, Left winger, the best one in New Jersey Devils history, hands down, number 26, Patrick Eliash. I don't think you guys are going to argue with me at all about this. I would be surprised, but I don't really think there's any debate. Drafted in the second round, 51st overall in 1994 by the New Jersey Devils. He would go on to play his entire career in New Jersey, exactly 20 years he won two Stanley Cups, won the 1997-98 Art Ross Trophy, and was an all-star only one time, and that was towards the end of his career. I believe it was 20, 2010 or 11. It's kind of crazy that he was only an all – I mean, give him at least two or three more. I mean, he was he was definitely a very good player. For him not to get as many all-star recognitions, kind of frustrating. But nonetheless – Eliash is the franchise all-time leader in points, goals, and assists, and he holds the franchise records for the most points in a season, 96, which was nearly broken by Taylor Hall in the 17-18 season, along with the most career game-winning goals, 79. Um, I don't really think those records are going to be broken anytime soon unless the likes of guys like Nico Hishier or Jack Hughes or Brad or guys like that stay around that long, um, which would be great if that ends up being the case, but Elias proved himself that he was a New Jersey Devil through and through. And even in the one or two years he was a free agent, Lou Lamarell found a way to convince him to stay and continue to play here. And Elias said before how grateful he is that he gets to say that he played for one team his entire career. And it's absolutely phenomenal. Number 26 was always a guy that you could always rely on to score big time goals, to make major contributions. 
You look at, you know, both 2000 and 2003, especially when he played on the Arnott line with Jason Arnott and Peter Sikora. Then in 03, when he really developed himself into a top six player, you know, being major, you know, a, a major contributor, basically, to two Stanley Cup winning teams uh, just shows you the impact that he really had with this team. Uh, Elias also ranked second in points by a checkborn player in the NHL, only behind Hall of Famer Yaramir Yager. Uh, Elias also represented the Czech national team in multiple tournaments, including four Winter Olympics, four World Cup championships, winning one Olympic bronze medal and two more at the World Championships. And he is one of and the most recent devil to have his number retired. So we have Scott Stevens. Uh, Scott Niedermeyer, Ken Danico, Martin Brodeur, and Patrick Eliash. And then when you look at Eliash's stats, 1,240 games played, 408 goals, 617 assists for 1,025 points. It has been now well over five years, I think. I don't even remember. Yeah, I think it's been well over five years now uh, that Eliash has retired from the National Hockey League. I would like to think that the NHL would do the right thing in the next year or two and retire Eliash and put him into the NHL Hall of Fame. I think he is worthy of it. I think for a guy that played over a thousand games, he scored over a thousand points, had over 400 goals, uh, which is top 100 in the NHL. And he won two Stanley Cups and Art Ross was an all-star and arguably the second greatest Czech-born player in the in NHL history. I, I think that his resume speaks for itself, as I just said it. I don't see why he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think this is only the second or third year of his eligibility anyway, but still, I believe that Patrick Elias deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And yes, it is biased, but I really don't care. So I look at it and say, Elias is not only the greatest, well, he certainly is the greatest forward in Devils history. I don't think there's any question about it. He's also, in my opinion, the greatest left winger in Devils history. And he should be in the National Hockey League Hall of Fame. He should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame 100%. And I would like to hope that the NHL, when they come together to vote again this upcoming season, that they look at Elias and say, look, he is arguably one of the best players that's still not in the Hall of Fame. I think it's time. He deserves to be there. And it's a, it's a joke that he's still not in there. And let's hope that he does, because if he does, he rightfully deserves to be in there. So Patrick Eliash is number one on my list. So let's go. Let's recap this really quick. Uh, number five is Jeff Friesen. Number four, Ilya Kovalchuk. Number three, Taylor Hall. Number two, Zach Parise. My honorable mentions are Jay Pandolfo, Mike Camilleri, Brandon Shanahan. And number one, of course, number 26, Patrick Eliash. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my top five best Devils left wingers of all time. Once again, if you agree, disagree, you think that I should have added somebody and taken somebody out, or you want to give your own list, let me know on Twitter at Devil's State and also on Instagram at Devil's State of Mind.